Well, hi, welcome to church. My name is Rowan, one of the pastors here. And today we get to start our new series in the book of Proverbs. There was once a man whose father was known as one of the greatest kings on earth. He was given by God the opportunity to ask for whatever he wanted. A blank check, no limitations. Health, wealth, fortune and fame, they could all be his. Could ask, what would you ask for? If you could have anything, what would you say? Happiness, security, comfort, power? Well, 2 Chronicles 1 tells the story of this man. His name was Solomon. And what he asked for was wisdom. And that's what God gave him. As Solomon became known as the wisest man on earth. Uh, To be wise, to, to know what to do, to understand life and how to live in it, surely has to be one of the greatest gifts we could have. How often do you find yourself just wanting to know what to do and how to respond and what choice to make? Well, over the next three weeks, we'll be delving into the book of Proverbs in the Bible, which is a collection of sayings from the mouth of King Solomon and a few of his contemporaries. We've titled the series Lessons for Life, because here we find the wisdom God gave King Solomon, and we do well to listen to it for all of our lives. And we'll be focusing in over the next three weeks on Lessons for life on relationships. We'll be looking at parenting, we'll be looking at friendship, we'll be looking at marriage. Now, they're all areas that we need help on. Just think about how much of our life is spent wrestling with our parents or our children, our spouses and our friends. All of us, we need wisdom in these areas. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom is what we get. So why don't we pray together now? Father God, we thank you so much for the joy of knowing you. And ask that today, as we open up your word together, as we think through what Proverbs says for us, you would help us to put Jesus first and to live rightly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all of us need wisdom. We spend so much time in our lives trying to work out how to live. We all need help. And the book of Proverbs gives us that wisdom. But Proverbs is very different to the rest of the Bible. It's not a narrative story like so much of the Old Testament that outlines God's work in the lives of his people. It's not a picture of something to come like Daniel or Revelation that shows us what God's going to do in the future. Proverbs is a collection of sayings of Proverbs that help you understand how to live in the world with the wisdom of its maker. Take, for instance, Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, that's a truth that's generally true, but it's profound. Relationship expert John Gottman spent years observing hundreds of married couples to identify four marriage killers that could predict with 95% accuracy if a couple would stay together or break up by watching just five minutes of a conversation between them. Now, you know what one of those marriage killers was? Something he calls harsh startup. Any conversation that starts harshly will end badly. And he worked out what the Bible actually says. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's wisdom. It's also what Solomon said 3,000 years earlier. But it's not a promise that every time you answer someone gently, they won't be angry with you. To read the book of Proverbs like a book of promises of God is to do a disservice to what it's about. Proverbs aren't promises of God, but principles for the godly. 
Now, don't get me wrong. They're in the inspired word of God. They're part of scripture. Paul quotes Proverbs 25 in Romans 12 as scripture. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you'll be heaping fiery coals on his head. Hebrews 12 quotes Proverbs 3 as scripture. James 4, 1 Peter 4, 1 Peter 5, 2 Peter 2. They all quote Proverbs as scripture. But you can't treat Proverbs like the promises of God. See, God's promises always come to fruition. God's Proverbs, though, give general guidance for life. And so... As we open up the book of Proverbs, we see them start with Solomon's words in Proverbs 1, verse 1. Listen to how he describes the Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instructions in righteousness, justice and integrity, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced and knowledge and discretion to a young man. Let a wise person listen and increase learning and let a discerning person obtain guidance. These proverbs come to us amidst the backdrop of a broken humanity. Our sinfulness, our rejection of the God who made us put the world in which we live and those who live in it in rebellion against God. Listen to Proverbs 30 verse 11. There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There's a generation that is pure in its own eyes. It is not washed from its filth. There is a generation, how haughty its eyes and pretentious it looks. There is a generation whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives, devouring the oppressed from the land and the needy from among mankind. We're a world that needs help. We haven't got life sorted. And the wisdom of the book of Proverbs provides us with principles for godly living but it will never save us. It's not that the wisdom is lacking. It's that we're lacking. We need someone to do this for us, to to do it in our place. The one who is actually the ultimate wise one, the son of Solomon, who did not consider equality with God as something to be held onto, but gave up his perfect life for us so we could have forgiveness. Jesus, who lived the perfect life, died our death so we could be free to live and follow his wisdom. So as we read these Proverbs together over the next three weeks, we need to look to Jesus, who did what we failed to do and who died for the failures we've done. And as we think through Proverbs lessons for life, we're going to hear God's wisdom today on parenting. Now you might think about the idea of parenting as a bit weird, what am I thinking about this? But the thing is, all of us have parents. Uh, We might know them well, or we may never have met them. But we'll always have a variety of experiences of our parents. Some great, others not so great. And my guess is that for those of us who are parents, our experience of being a parent is probably very similar. There are parenting moments that we're proud of, moments that we helped our kids learn something and grow. And there's a number of moments that we're not too proud of as well. Now, God's wisdom for parenting starts with children. Have a look. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and don't reject your mother's teaching. For they'll be like a garland of favor on your head and pendants around your neck. See, it's the responsibility of Christians, 
and Christian children to listen to their parents. And generally, with godly parents, listening to them works out well for us as well. I look at Proverbs 6 verse 20. My son, keep your father's command and don't reject your mother's teaching. Always bind them to your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk here and there, they will guide you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you wake up, they will talk to you. For a command is a lamp. Teaching is a light. And corrective discipline is the way to life. Our family of origin has a massive impact on who we are. Uh, Obeying parents is what it really is to be a child. Colossians 3.20 in the New Testament tells us that children ought to obey our parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. It pleases God when you obey and honor your parents in everything. That is everything that's not sin. A child puts a smile on the face of God when we honor our parents, even when our parents are wrong and at times unfair, no matter what age we are. See, that's what Jesus did in in Luke chapter 2. In verse 51, he he went down uh, with his parents and came to Nazareth and he was obedient to them. His mother then kept all these things in her heart, Luke tells us. And in verse 52, Jesus says, it says, As Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people, Jesus submitted here to his mum and dad after they blamed him and not themselves for leaving him behind in the temple. He was their creator and savior and judge, but he went home and submitted to his parents. He obeyed the fifth commandment so that when Jesus went to the cross at age 30, he was able to save you and me because he obeyed his parents when we haven't. So now we can please God because Jesus pleased God for us, which frees us to honor our parents. And I think that's the key. Irrespective of age, do your parents feel respected by you? Like if you're not sure, it'd be a great question to ask them. Now, it certainly looks different depending on your age. You know, while our kids were eight and nine, we told them when to go to bed. But I don't want my 30-year-old son or daughter calling me up and saying, Oh, Dad, are you okay if I stay up till midnight tonight to watch a movie? <laughs> it also doesn't mean you allow your parents to cause you to sin. Because it's ultimately for God's sake that you obey. So you wouldn't reject Him. And if you're not married... Your parents are your first obligation after Jesus. And if you are married, your spouse is your first responsibility, but your parents don't stop being your responsibility either. We are all children. So Proverbs 4 says, Listen, sons, to a father's discipline and pay attention so that you may gain understanding for I'm giving you good instruction. Don't abandon my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender and precious to my mother, he taught me. We are all children and we all need to remember that our parents have been children too. (laughs) Solomon tells us that his parents, David and Bathsheba, were a model for him. They taught him. Now, unfortunately, David might have taught him a little too much about the story of how he, he and his mother met. But it does go to show that the model our parents set for us plays a significant role in how we parent. But the good news is we're not stuck with their model. If you've had a poor model of parenting, you're not doomed to being a bad parent for life because all of us have a father who has truly loved us. Chapter 3, verse 11 says this, Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline, 
For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. In the end, all of us have a heavenly father, a father who loves us. You just got to listen to the words of John, one of Jesus' closest friends in 1 John 3 verse 1. See what great love the father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. So we don't have time to read Matthew 6 and 7 and John 14 and Romans 8. All of them point to our loving father in heaven, that he's made his love clear for us at the cross. When Jesus died in our place, he set us an example and given us his word and his wisdom. And it's there that we see how deep God's love is for us, how vast beyond all measure that we have the perfect example of the father access to him through Jesus and his spirit in us that gives us hope and brings his word alive. So then, what does Proverbs has to say for us as parents? Well, the first thing and the most important thing is the fear of the Lord. We need to grasp the fear of the Lord as parents. Proverbs 14 verse 26 says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children have a refuge. Do you hear that? Treating God rightly, fearing him is the key to your children feeling safe. As we recognize that we have a father who is our Lord and our ruler and our loving king, we will act in a way that's good and right towards our children. We'll love his way. We'll live for his priorities. We'll forgive like he forgives. We'll trust his word like he trusts his own word. The aim of parenting isn't reaching independence, but shifting our children's dependence from us to their Lord. The best thing you can do for your kids is invest in your relationship with your heavenly father. Fear him, delight in him, delight in his word and his ways. That'll mean that you'll love them. You'll lead them. You'll teach them. You'll cherish your relationships with them like our heavenly father delights in his love for us. The temptation for us as parents is to think that we need to provide what the world thinks is best for our kids. The best opportunities, the best experiences, the best education, the best clothes, the best food, the best safety. You know, we need to set them up for life and leave them an inheritance and financial security. But fearing the Lord means we think differently about the way we raise our children. Listen to Solomon, Proverbs 15, verse 17. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened ox with hatred. Or 17 verse 1, better a dry crust with peace than a house full of feasting with strife. Now, I don't know what a fattened ox tastes like. I imagine it's great. Uh, But it's saying that we're better off just eating vegetables and having love in the house than being able to store up to buy a fattened ox and there'd be hatred within the house. We live in a world full of absent parents outsourced love. We exchange time for toys and our presence for presents, gifts. <laughs> not, not saying we can't buy our kids toys or that childcare is wrong or ungodly, but I am saying check what you're doing and, and why. Working that to get that bit extra for the kids may just be idolizing the extra that we never had at the expense of what our kids really need. What Proverbs is overwhelmingly strong on is that our children need input. Proverbs calls it 
discipline. Chapter 22, verse 6 says this, Start a youth out on his way, and even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. Or 27, verse 5, Better an open reprimand than concealed love. 13, 24, The one who will not use the rod hates his son, but the one who loves him disciplines him diligently. Or 23, verse 13, Don't withhold discipline from a youth. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and you will rescue his life from Sheol. Or 29 verse 17, discipline your child and it will bring you peace of mind and give you delight. 1918, discipline your son while there is hope. Don't set your heart on being the cause of his death. Proverbs is strong. Children require input. Loving, God-focused, grace-abounding discipline. Now today, discipline has gotten such a bad rap (laughs) from the ways we've misused it and abused it. Discipline's this, oh, I don't want to discipline people or children. I don't want to have to do that. They just should act in the right way and in a godly way like butterflies and fairies. (laughs) Well, that idea is like butterflies and fairies, particularly fairies. They don't exist. No, the hard work of carrying out discipline consistently makes us not want to do it. But Proverbs 13 verse 18 tells us that poverty and disgrace come to those who ignore discipline. But the one who accepts correction will be honoured. Or 15 verse 10, discipline is harsh for the one who leaves the path. The one who hates correction will die. Or verse 32, anyone who ignores discipline despises himself. But whoever listens to correction acquires good sense. 1927, if you stop listening to correction, my son. You'll stay away from the words of knowledge. Discipline is good for us and it's good for our children. One of the biggest issues in parenting is going to either extreme in the area of discipline, either abdicating our responsibility to do it to our spouse or to the kid's school, or maybe to parents or grandparents, or we're still just not doing discipline at all. Or we go to the other extreme of being too heavy-handed with discipline, kind of legalistic and harsh. The aim of discipline, it's not outward obedience to an external rule. That's not what God has in mind here. He's after changed hearts that willingly and happily obey Him. Look at Proverbs 23 verse 15. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will indeed rejoice. My inmost being will celebrate when your lips Say what is right. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Solomon tells us that discipline is the key to molding the heart. Not breaking it, but molding it. Proverbs 22 verse 15 tells us that foolishness is bound in the heart of the youth. A rod of discipline will separate it from him. Now we've got to Understand as we hear that, the speaking of a rod and physical discipline and the idea of discipline, it just sounds harsh to us. But I want to show you that actually discipline is at the heart of what our God does with you and me. Listen to Hebrews 12 about the way God disciplines us. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves 
and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirit and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Now, let me draw out a few points from this large chunk of Hebrews 12, where actually the writer quotes Proverbs chapter 3. I've got a few points for us. Number one, God disciplines us. He disciplines us. Secondly, he disciplines us because he loves us. Not because he hates us or because there's some problem. He disciplines us because he loves us. And he does it, number three, to every son. In fact, if you're not disciplined, you're, you're an Ill, illegitimate child. It's showing that he doesn't love you. He doesn't care for you. Number four, he does it by bringing suffering. Suffering comes into our lives and God disciplines us through that. He then expects human fathers to discipline us and to respect them for us. And finally, point number six, discipline is not expected to be enjoyable, but painful. It's worth going over that a little later, Hebrews 12, and seeing that section of the Bible to see the way God disciplines us so that we can understand and think through as parents how we ought to model our Father who is in heaven. What does discipline actually mean, though? Well, the fancy Greek dictionaries tell us that the word translated discipline means the act of providing guidance for responsible living, upbringing, training, instruction, chiefly as it is attained by discipline and correction. That's what the, the noun of discipline means. The verb, the doing word, means to, to assist in the development of a person's ability to make appropriate choices, to practice discipline. It's got two subsets. The first is to correct and give guidance. And the second is to discipline with punishment. And what Hebrews 12 is talking about here is disciplining with punishment. It's unpleasant. It's painful. God's discipline of you and I, it's not sadistic. Nor is he lashing out in unrighteous anger or frustration or revenge. God disciplines with a long-term view for our well-being. His discipline is, is a means for us to become holy and righteous and peaceful. Discipline is, is training. You've got to understand that. It's not the end itself. We don't aim to do discipline for discipline's sake. We, we discipline because it trains us for a specific end. Hebrews 12 verse 10, he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. This is so important to remember this because it's easy to forget when we're experiencing discipline and going through the sufferings. We need to see that this passage assumes that parents who love their children discipline their children. God himself disciplines his children. So disciplining your kids is actually godly. It's good and right. We need to discipline our kids. If you look 
carefully throughout Proverbs though, you can kind of categorize the types of discipline that is there into three levels of increasing severity. The first type is to teach, you discipline by teaching. The second level is you discipline by warning. And the third level is discipline by enforcement. You enforce it. And as the severity goes up, our time using these levels of discipline should go down. So level one, teaching. Uh, Proverbs 1 verse 8, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and don't reject your mother's teaching. See, parents, we need to explain to their children what we expect from them. It takes so many forms and it happens in every avenue of life as parents spend time with their kids. Parents should talk about what God has done and how it applies to different areas of their life. They should teach values by modeling for their children what they expect from their children. Um, They should give rules to their kids. We should explain those rules so they understand. We should encourage them and affirm them as they obey and live out God's way. We should explain to them how improper behavior is not great, but in neutral context when we don't need to punish necessarily. We need to connect sin with its natural consequences so that children see sin's long-term effects. Level one in Proverbs is really teaching and instructing our kids about what ways are right. And that's where we should spend the majority of our time in disciplining our children. Then we get to level two, which is more like the warning. We hear in Proverbs 2, verse 12 and 16, that warning can save a person from danger. Wisdom, Proverbs tells us, will rescue you from the way of evil, from anyone who says perverse things. Verse 16, wisdom will rescue you from a forbidden woman, from a wayward woman with her flattering talk. God, he's so patient and kind with us. And that means that we should be patient and kind with our children. We need God's wisdom to know when to warn instead of enforcing. When we warn, we clearly tell our children what will happen if they don't heed our warning. We warn about both short-term and long-term consequences. Short-term consequences include how we will enforce our guidelines if they break them. But we need to warn. And we need to do that less than we teach And we need to do level three even less than we warn. Level three is enforcing. Wise parents are concerned primarily about the children's heart, not the external obedience. So as we think through enforcing our discipline on our children, we need to make sure that we guard our hearts above all else. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, for is a source of life. We don't want children who are merely externally compliant like a good Pharisee that just does all the right things. We want kids whose hearts are changed, who live for their creator, who love their creator. But external obedience shows the heart problems. Just like Jesus said, out of a man's heart comes all sorts of evil. All of these things, these opportunities to correct are opportunities to deal with heart issues. And we've got to see them as that. And when children disobey their parents, parents need God's wisdom in regarding how to enforce these guidelines that may involve verbally rebuking our children, revoking privileges, sometimes physical discipline. Now, I know the idea of smacking is controversial. Everyone's like, what's he going to say now? 
But the Bible is actually really clear that lovingly and carefully and not out of anger, but for a children's learning and disciplining, smacking is required for our kids. The Bible is quite clear about it. Most children need physical discipline at some point. Now, that doesn't mean that all children need it and it's not the only thing we should use. We should use it sparingly. Parents who have an unusually gentle and conscientious child who you know, responds well to non-physical discipline, you shouldn't feel guilty for not smacking your child. It's about the outcome of a changed heart and recognizing what is right and what isn't. Discipline is not the outcome. Molding the heart is. But the point is that properly administering physical discipline does demonstrate love. God does it to us. Painful methods of discipline are one of the the many ways God has given us to train children for their good. Let me quote to you um, Bruce Waltke, one of the most well-respected Old Testament commentators. And uh, the guy who's written a two-volume book on the book of Proverbs. He says this, and it's on, on the screen here. Severe discipline is not cruel, but to withhold it from callous youth is. However, the cleansing rod must be applied with warmth, affection, respect for the youth. Warmth and affection, not steely discipline, characterize the father's lectures of Proverbs 4, 1 to 9. Parents who brutalize their children cannot hide behind the rod doctrine of Proverbs. Friends, I want to be really clear with you today. Do not use physical discipline as a vent for your own anger or an outlet for your own frustration. I know it's tempting. I know what it's like. I know you can be so frustrated at these loving children that God gave you that apparently are a blessing from the Lord. But venting anger is not what God is doing when he disciplines us. He's shaping our hearts so that we might be more like him. So we ought not to vent our anger when we discipline our children. We need to hear that. Now, I take the rod of Proverbs, both as pointing to physical punishment, but also as an illustration for the whole range of negative reinforcements that we can use with our children. To say that we can do without smacking, I think, is to seriously underestimate the challenge of shaping the character of a child. But it should be something that is used rarely. So as we get to this last section of what Proverbs says about the way we parent our children, I want to give us a few points about how we parent, kind of driven from the principles Proverbs laid out and coming a little bit from wisdom and experience, the small amount we've had in our 13 years of parenting. So application point number one, and I've got 10. So here we go. Pray for your children. The goal of disciplining your children is not merely that they externally obey you. It's that God changes their hearts so they love God with their, with their all. And they apply the gospel to every area of their lives. You can't legislate that. You can't enforce that. You can't save your kids from their sins. But you can pray for them. So pray for your kids. Secondly, teach your kids the gospel in the way that you discipline them. See, all three levels of discipline can be really kind of teachable moments to discuss why God hates sin and how sin results in terrible consequences in this life and the next and how Jesus solves the problem of sin. 
So some of the most teachable moments that I've had with our kids have when I've been when I've I've shared that I'm a sinner too. When I've failed and I've sinned against our kids and I need to ask them to forgive me. Communicate that you can't obey God without his help either. And that we're all sinful people and need Jesus to save us from our sins. Apply the gospel to our kids in every area as we discipline them. Number three, use multiple levels of discipline. Spend as much of your disciplinary time as possible in levels one and two, teaching and warning, and as little as possible in level three, enforcing. But do use all three levels. Number four, love your kids and tell them and show them that you love them. That's what our father does for us. Our kids can do all sorts of things that frustrate us and anger us, but there should be nothing that they ever do that will make you stop loving them. You think about our God who loves us, even despite us turning our backs on him. Make sure your kids know that you love them. I remember reading the Jesus Storybook Bible to our kids when they were younger, and it speaks of God's never stopping, never giving up, always and forever unbreaking love. We should love our kids in the same way and they should know it. Number five, be aware of the two extremes of discipline, not disciplining enough and over disciplining. Be aware of that. Chat with your spouse about it. Make sure you're thinking carefully about the way that you're leading your children. Number six, I want to have a Quick word to the dads amongst us. Fathers, we need to lead our families in discipline. Hebrews 12 talks specifically about human fathers disciplining their children. Ephesians 6.4 directly addresses fathers. It says, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Dads, don't abdicate your responsibility. Don't leave the hard stuff of discipline to your wife or to the school. Support your wife. Work together as a team. Be the one who makes sure your family goes to church each week when when we can actually meet together at church. And when when we can't gather all together, be the one who's active in, in inviting others around. See, kids need to be surrounded by other believers and not just their parents. Be regular at church. Dads, take the lead in reading the Bible to your kids. That's something that is hard. I know, I struggle with it. I haven't got this sorted. But we need to lead our kids and our families. Number seven, every child is different. And we've got four kids and they're all different. They all kind of respond differently. They've all got different joys and different passions and different issues. Sorry, guys, it's true, you do. So don't rigidly and inflexibly and thoughtlessly apply the same methods to all your children. I fall into this all the time. I I, I did one thing for one child. I want to do the same to the rest. There's a reality that we need to keep about consistency. But a stern word and hardly any physical discipline might be sufficient with one child, but not with another. Think through that every child that you have is different. And every child in other people's family is different as well. So be very careful there, which leads me to point number eight. Be humble about parental discipline. 
Often I come across people who are like, oh, that's because they've done this or done that. Or if they just did this or if they just raised your child according to this way of doing it or that way of doing it. Or this is the biblical way to bring up your child. It's not. There's a range of things, principles the Bible gives us. And all of us need God's grace. God gives grace to the humble. We need to be humble and not judgmental in the way we think about other parents and we speak to other parents about the way they train or don't train their children. One of the things to think through is be especially careful before you have kids about giving your opinion to others about how they should parent. It really comes across as arrogant when you don't have children, but you're an expert on it. Also be careful if your children are comparatively well-behaved. It's so easy to look down your nose and say, oh, my child will never do that. <laughs> wow. If I think about me and what I do, I do things all the time I think I should never do, uh, let alone we do that. Have a humility and a grace in the way we think through that with others. And especially think through it carefully if you have not yet reached the same stages as the other children are at. Uh, we've only got one teenager at the moment, three more to go. And our teenagers only just entered into that land. I don't pretend to be an expert in any of it. Be humble in the way that you speak about parenting. It can cause so much damage in the body of God's people. Well, number nine, we need to be radically consistent and authentic in the way we live out our own faith. Not just in the way we behave, but in our affections as well. Our kids need to see how precious Jesus is to their mum and dad. We need to see that we fear the Lord, that we live for Jesus. Not just how he's obeyed or what we wear to church or how we read our devotions or some duty, duty, duty that we've got to do. Kids need to see the joy and satisfaction in their parents' heart. That Jesus is the greatest person in the world. They need to see you speak like your treasure is in heaven. To spend your money like your treasure is in heaven to sing like your treasure is in heaven and to live like you'll be going to heaven, to the new creation, that Jesus is coming back and that's what we live for. They need to understand that Jesus is the most important person in your life, not them. When we had our first child, uh, a good friend, a pastor of our church actually said to me, make sure um, that when that child is born, you don't worship what's in your wife's womb so easy to worship our children rather than the creator who gave them to us. We don't live for our children. We live for our God. And the best thing we can do for our kids is to have a relationship that is on fire for him. That's in his word. That's growing more and more to be like Jesus. Well, last point. Number 10. Remember God's grace. We aren't the ones finally who save our kids. God saves them. So rest in God's sovereignty over your children. We can't bear the weight of their eternity. That's up to God. We can pray and we can lay those burdens at his feet, but we are not responsible for them trusting Jesus. We are responsible to love them as we ought and to discipline them as much as we can and as best as we can. But them coming to Christ and trusting in him ultimately, well, that's God's doing. So what do we do now as parents? Well, we come to our father who is the perfect parent, who's expressed his love so clearly for us in his son. And we humbly live for him as children who trust our dad and long to be made more like him. 
and as parents who see his example and his word. So let's come now before our God and ask him to help us as a church to be godly children and godly parents as we seek all our hearts to be molded into the likeness of our God and to fear him. Let's pray together. Father God, we are so thankful that you've given us your word, that you've shown us your love through Jesus and that you've called us your children. Today, as we reflect on what it is to be a parent and a child, we ask that you'd help us to let your word shape our view of the world, that we might discipline our children lovingly and carefully with a view to see their hearts molded into the likeness of your son. Help us not to do so out of frustration and anger, but to love and lead them by your word. Deepen our relationship with you. Help us to be on fire as parents sharing the news of Jesus and as children honoring our parents as we love them. But Father God, most of all, help us to marvel at your son and the forgiveness that we have in him, knowing that we are imperfect children and imperfect parents, yet that you have lived the perfect life for us so that we can please you because Jesus has pleased you in our place. We thank you so much for the joy of knowing you as our Father. In his name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.